Good morning. If you're here uh, for the first time, I want to welcome you to Bethany Bible Chapel. It's great to be with you all this morning on a 85 degree day in September. I mean, let's keep this going, right? I mean, we, we, uh, we don't need to know what's coming next, but... Um, Several years ago, I, uh, I got hooked on a little TV reality show uh, that was on for one season. And that's usually what happens when I watch shows, they end up canceling after the first season. But th- this one, uh, if you saw it, it was pretty cool. It's called the Eco Challenge, the World's Toughest Race. And uh, in this, it basically, it's a, it was an expedition uh, that is against the clock. And they do this, it's, uh, it's every year, but uh, they filmed it for one of these seasons. And basically what it is, is all these international teams, they kind of come together and it's adventure racers and they race nonstop 24 hours a day, uh, hundreds of miles across remote backcountry and all this weird terrain. They go through rivers and streams and mountains and everything else. And, you know, each team's comprised of four people. Uh, they must include at least one member from uh, each gender. And all teams are supported by this assistant crew who help them kind of resupply them, uh, the four athletes on their team along the way of this course that they have to go on. Uh, they, they, they navigate through the backcountry only using basically a compass uh, and, and the key points that they see along the way and, and, uh, and their maps, but they can't use smartphones, they can't use GPS, they can't do all these things, and it's strictly prohibited. And if a team uh, loses a member along the way, whether it's, it's due to injury or exhaustion or even disagreement, whatever it may be, they'll be disqualified. And only the teams that can work together under extreme stress and fatigue uh, get to sh- and, and through this uh, high level of expedition problem-solving skills that they have to go through have any chance of success. It's the only way they can make it through this thing. And although the first team to cross the finish line will be the winner, any team that competes the entire course will have truly achieved this exceptional task of basically being able to say that they've finished the world's toughest race. And now, as I watched these endurance racers uh, during this time, it was incredible to see their willpower and to see them just keep going and keep pushing on. And, and they could have quit many times over and over and over, and, and, and some did. But whether it be through injuries, fatigue, dehydration, whatever they went through, discouragement, I want you to understand something. Sorry, I'll get a little feedback. As we go through the passage today that we're going to go through in Hebrews chapter 10, I want you all to leave here with the truth that Jesus is worthy of our confident endurance. He's worthy of our confidence endurance. And we're going to go look at some ways to keep pressing on during our Christian walk. Let's just uh, open this word uh, this morning in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come here together in this building we call Bethany to fellowship with one another and worship you collectively this morning. Lord, as we open your word today, I ask that you speak to each of us this morning that we may gain a new understanding of your love for us and how you want us to continue to press on in our daily walk with you. We thank you that you sent your one and only son to this earth to die for each and every one of us and that he took our sin on his body on the tree and that we're thankful that he did that obediently and willingly for each and every one of us. We love you. I pray that through this message today that those here that are here today would would hear you more clearly today, not me. And then I ask all these things in your son's precious and holy name. 
Amen. If you haven't already done so, please open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, or chapter 10, sorry, uh, chapter 10, and uh, we're going to be starting at verse 19, and we're going to go through the end of the chapter here. If you were here last week with us, Bob did an outstanding job last week of uh, taking us through Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18, and he shared that Christ's death was sufficient. Christ's death was sufficient. He died once for all. Do you all believe that this morning? Amen. There is forgiveness of sins. Bob hammered that home last week. There is forgiveness of sins. Praise God for that. In fact, in verse 18, it finishes by saying, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So now we get to verse 19. And as we get to verse 19, it starts off with the word, therefore. And some of us in social media circles have seen that clip. So what's the therefore, therefore, right? What is it there for? Why is it there? Why do we start this passage? Now, first of all, when the Bible was written, there wasn't these sections that were separated out. That's just for us to be understanding. So therefore is a continuation of what went on in verses 10 through 1 through 18. And the word therefore in the Webster's Dictionary, it means to that end. Okay, to that end. So what is the author actually saying here is concluding to that end. Well, look at verses 19 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So what is the end here? What are we getting at? The therefore. Well, first the author is saying what? That we have the assurance and the confidence that we can come and enter the holy place now. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Why? Because the blood of Jesus was poured out for you and me on the cross in this new and living way by he opened up through what? Through the curtain, right? That is through his flesh. He did that for you and for me. He physically went to the cross and he died for you and for me. I love what Warren Wearsby says in his commentary about this. He says this, No old covenant worshiper would have been bold enough to try to enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Even the high priest entered the Holy of Holies only once a year. The thick veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies was a barrier between people and God. Only the death of Christ could tear that veil and open the way into the heavenly sanctuary where God dwells. Praise God. Praise God for that, that Jesus has made a new and living way to God. Mark 15, 38. Love this verse, and it's also, I think, in Matthew. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, What? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The second thing here was in verse 21. It says that we have a great high priest over the house of God. 
Jesus is now our great high priest. He's our great high priest. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just knowing that he is our high priest, we can continue to press on. We can continue to keep walking in faith. And you know what else we can continue to do? We can keep walking in confidence and assurance. Why? Because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. That is how we keep going. Now look back here at verses 19 and 21. You're going to see two very familiar words here. These words are, we have. We have. Now what do these two words mean here? We have means that God has provided for us. And as these three verses in 19 through 21, they clearly show, it shows us he has given us three things. Confidence, a great high priest, and he's given us confidence and assurance that we can enter the most holy place. If we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And this can only happen because the veil, as I said, was completely torn in two from top to bottom because of what Christ did for you and for me. He shed his blood. And because of that fact, we can become children of God. We can become children of God. And we are free to enter the Father's house. Praise God that he rose from the grave and we worship a risen Savior. We worship a risen Savior. We don't come here to worship one who just died and was buried, and that's the end of the story. No, we come to worship a risen Savior, the one who is our great high priest. And because of this fact, and because of the fact that we are his children, we can keep pressing on. We can keep pressing on even during the most difficult of days because he's always there for us. I'm thankful for that this morning. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does this verse tell us to do? It tells us to do what? Draw near to God. Draw near to God. With what? A true heart in full assurance of faith with what? with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And what happens next? Or what, no, what next? With our bodies washed with pure water. Drawing near to God. Drawing near to God. Isn't that something that each of us desires today? Don't we desire to draw near to God? I mean, we want to be near Him. We want to be in His presence. We want to be close to Him. But turn with if you would, to Exodus for a moment. We're going to go back to Exodus 19, 16 through 20. And I want you to think back here as we read this of Moses and the Israelites. Exodus 19, starting at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. (laughs) A little different than today. 
little different than today, isn't it? We don't have to be scared or frightened to approach God, do we? Now, in that aspect, we couldn't draw near to God. They couldn't draw near to God like you and I can today. They couldn't do that, okay? I mean, they were sinful human beings just like we are, but just like back in the Israelites' day, God was holy then, just like he is now. But what's the difference between Moses' time and now? Moses couldn't even approach God without taking off his sandals. <laughs> Big difference. Big difference. But we can draw near to God easily, can't we? Because of what Jesus has done for you and for me. Just like what verse 22 says, we have been washed clean with pure water and our hearts are cleansed by Jesus' blood poured out for us. Get this, people. Even our conscience has been cleaned. Even our conscience has been clean. How amazing is that? I mean, through one event, Jesus going to the cross, we have been made clean. We've been studying this book of Hebrews now for several months, and, and, and hopefully by now, hopefully by now, in chapter 10, and going through back 10 chapters, you realize that we have a direct access to God. We have a direct access to God. Just look at some of the verses we've covered over the last couple months. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with what? With confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 7.19 says, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Hebrews 9.14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Ladies and gentlemen, we are clean. We are clean. Bill McDonald says this, there is a fourfold description of how we should be spiritually groomed in entering the throne room. Number one, with a true heart. Number two, in full assurance of faith. Number three, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And number four, our bodies washed with pure water. Thus, we might summarize the four requisites for entering God's presence as, and I love this, sincerity, assurance, salvation, in sanctification. If you know me, you know I'm on social media. And I have Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's been amazing to me over the years as you go through and you see firsthand on social media that it's a place where people can hide behind a screen. People can hide behind a screen. And they can be someone they're not. Maybe it's the real person who they are, but it's, they, they, they can just be behind a screen. And, and most people only see the fun things that people do, right? Birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, uh, vacations, all these great things that people are going through. And, and it's places where people are usually the happiest, right? That's where we usually see. And, and we use filters on Instagram and Snapchat so we make ourselves look better and, 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 and all this stuff, right? But if I flip that a little bit, 
Consequently, God wants us to come to him as the way he made us. He wants us to be ourselves, the way God made us, in his image. We can be confident knowing that he loves us just the way we are, clean and forgiven. It made me think of the song we sing a lot here on Sunday mornings, White as Snow. You all know it. Let me just read this real quick. It just says, White as snow, white as snow, though my sins were as scarlet, Lord, I know. I know what? I know I'm clean and forgiven through the power of the, your blood, through the wonder of your love, through faith in you, I know that I am white as snow. I love that song. Let's go on to verses 23 through 25. It says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? Is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love what this says in Hebrews 10.23. We're going to break these down. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I recently heard someone say, much of Christianity is about letting go. Let go of your plans and trust God. Let go of your bitterness and forgive. Let go of what's behind and press forward. Let go of anxieties and pray. Let go of earthly treasures and lay up heavenly ones instead. Let go of concerns about food, clothing, and life itself and seek the kingdom. But here in these verses, we're invited to hang on or hold fast to what? What are we supposed to hold fast to? We're holding on to the confession of our hope. Why? Because it's, look at what it says here at verse end of 23. For he who promised is faithful. You may have to let go of everything else in your life, but never, ever, ever loosen your grip on the promises of God. Never lose your grip on the promises of God. Because you know what? They are the only certainties we have in this world are the promises of God. The Savior will come. The Savior will come, and as he promised, and his people will be with him and like him forever. We talked about that this morning, the breaking of bread. We worship. We talked about his coming, right? Praise God for that. He is coming. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. We just got done with a, a Bible conference about two weeks ago, and I'm not going to hold back. I'm just going to say it. If you weren't here, you missed out. You missed out. You missed out on incredible Bible teaching. You missed out on people serving alongside one another. You missed out on amazing food put together by our kitchen crew. You missed out on a tremendous fellowship of one another. You're probably stirring things up a little bit by saying this. But you know what? I say it out of complete love. I really do. Raju, he took us through First, uh, first John as we looked at the principles of fellowship. And in verse 25 here in Hebrews 10, it goes on to say, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Last year, said this before, but last year was one of the most difficult times as an elder here at Bethany, trying to lead the flock through all the stuff we had to go through last year. And we missed 
everyone so badly. We missed everyone. You all missed each other. We missed you. And we went through this and, and thankfully that we were able to open the doors here at Bethany and still meet. But there are so many of my friends around the country that I, I know that weren't able to meet, weren't able to go to church, weren't able to fellowship. And, you know, they were only able to stay home and watch live streams or do whatever. And they weren't able to come together and be together as a fellowship. They couldn't encourage the believers. They couldn't encourage one another. They couldn't love each other. I love what Warren Wearsby says here in verse 20, about verse 25 in his commentary. He said this, Fellowship with God must never become selfish. We must also fellowship with other Christians in the local assembly. Apparently, some of the wavering believers had been absenting themselves from the church fellowship it's interesting to note that the emphasis here is not on what a believer gets from the assembly, but rather on what he can contribute to the assembly. Faithfulness in church attendance encourages others and provokes them to love and good works. Let me read that one sentence. It's interesting to note that the emphasis here is not on what a believer gets from the assembly, but rather on what he can contribute to the assembly. I hope and pray you all don't come here to Bethany each and every week and you say things like, man, I didn't get anything out of that meeting this morning. Or, no one went out of their way to talk to me during the fellowship time this morning. Man, that music that was played this morning wasn't really to my liking. Or, you know, oh, there's only one person working in the nursery today. Wish they'd find someone else there to help. I'm not going to join a small group because, you know, I really don't know any of those people. Am I hitting home? No, no, no. People, it is not about us. I've said this before in our breaking of bread service. I'm going to say it again here. The service that we come to here, wherever it is, when we come together, it's not about what we try to make the focus about us. It's not about making it about us. Come prepared as we go to the breaking of bread service. Come prepared to share with the, on your heart about Christ, right? And the same thing goes for our fellowship here. We need to be focused on others and not ourselves. What can you, what can I contribute to this place, to each other as a body? You realize that we've grown over 30% in the last year and a half. Praise God for that, right? But you know what? I will say this. We don't have any paid staff here at Bethany. We don't have any paid staff. If you're in fellowship here at Bethany, that means that you and me need to step up. We need to serve. We need to serve each other. We can't get growing and have the same small amount of people doing the same amount of work. The work has grown. Praise God for that. But we shouldn't come here to be served, but to serve. Does that sound familiar? It should. <laughs> it should. It's what Jesus did. He came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. As we continue in verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice it doesn't come out and say, as every single one of you is doing. I'm not saying that either here this morning. We have many, many people here, many faithful believers here at Bethany that are involved in ministries and serving and doing all these things. And, you know, praise God for that. Praise God for that. You'll often hear people say, 
I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. But you know what else is true? <laughs> You're also missing an opportunity to be part of the body. You're missing an opportunity to be part of the body here at Bethany, to encourage one another, to love one another, be serving one another here at Bethany. Don't give in to Satan's lie that you can live the Christian life alone. You can't. You cannot. One of Satan's biggest things he wants is for a Christian to be alone. He wants us to be isolated. Why? Because he doesn't want you or me or whomever encouraging one another and building up one another and serving alongside of one another. Think about it. When you're in your alone, when you are alone in your own thoughts for extended periods of time, you begin to think about one thing and one thing only, and that is you. <laughs> Yourself. Meeting here at Bethany, it comes in many forms, okay? That doesn't just mean coming in the second service, sitting and going home, and that's what you say, I come to church. Well, yeah, that's great. But it's bigger than that, right? There's so many other things we can be doing. Here at Bethany, we have youth group. We have Awana. We have, we have high school groups. We've got you know, uh, small groups. We've got all these things. Men's prayer breakfast, on and on and on. Awana, for instance. They're looking for women leaders right now. Becky, I think, told me they're growing like, wait, you got 33 girls in there right now. It's grown like double. Praise God. But you know what? The same three people can't do it. We need more. See her afterwards if you need it. I didn't get paid to say that. It wasn't a paid announcement. No, I'm being serious though. We need people, okay? This place doesn't run on its own. Verse 20, and so why is it important to be together? Because as verse 25 says, when we're around other believers, when we're around other people here at Bethany or when we serve at camp or wherever we are, whatever it may be, what's it say? We're more easily stirred up to love and good works. Serving alongside another believer, it's, it's, it's so encouraging to me. It really is. I get to see their Christian walk and what they're doing, and that encourages me. Hopefully my walk's encouraging them. Many people talk about when they come here to Bethany, the love of Christ is poured out to them when they walk in the door and they feel really loved here. Awesome. Praise God. That's what we want. We want the love of Christ shining through us to others, right? But may we never, ever lose that here. Do we always have it all together? <laughs> no. No, we don't. You and I fail. But you know what that's great about failing with other Christians? There's forgiveness. There's love. Is there a better place to be than with other fellow believers? I can't think of another place. I can't think of another place I'd rather be than with all of you. So now we get to some hardcore stuff. Verses 26 and 27. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now remember, this passage is talking to those of us who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. If we keep on sinning deliberately, we are in serious spiritual danger. We can't, and we don't need to, Go sacrifice a lamb or any other kind of sin offering like the Old Testament. Remember, Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for all, once for all. So we don't have to sacrifice, have a sacrifice for sins anymore. But I will tell you this, and listen closely, we should have a fearful expectation of upcoming judgment. 
we should have a fearful expectation of what's to come. The section of Scripture in Hebrews talks about sinning deliberately. You know, to sin deliberately means you are purposeful in your sin. In other words, you know it's wrong, but you continue to do it anyway. Deliberate sins, sins could be things like anger, lust, lying, pride, on and on and on and on and on, right? But Christ died for all, including for you and for me, for all sins past, present, and future. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're, what we're dealing with. We're walking through this dark world as sinners, saved by grace. He understands what we're struggling with. He knows. He cares. Remember what it says back in Hebrews 4.15? For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what you and I are struggling with. He cares. He loves. Now get to verse 28 and 29. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Bill McDonald, he gave a great write-up on these verses in his Believer's Commentary. He said this, The apostate will be counted worthy of much worse punishment because his privilege has been much greater. The enormity of his sin is seen in the three charges that are leveled against him. Number one, he has trampled the Son of God underfoot. After professing to be a follower of Jesus, he is now brazenly asserts that he wants nothing more to do with him. He denies any need for Christ as Savior and positively rejects him as Lord. He goes on to say, In Japan, there's a crucifix which was used by the government in days of persecution. It was placed on the ground, and everybody had to tread on the face of the crucified. The non-Christians did not hesitate to tread on his face. The real Christians refused and were killed. The story goes that the face of Jesus was worn down and marred by the people trampling on it. Number two, he has counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. He counts as useless and unholy the blood of Christ which ratified the new covenant. He had been set apart by the blood in a place of external privilege. Through his association with Christian people, he had been sanctified just as an unbelieving husband is sanctified by his believing wife. But that does not mean that he was saved. Lastly, the third charge against the apostate is that he he has insulted the spirit of grace. The Spirit of God had illuminated him and concerning the good news, convicted him of sin, and pointed him to the Christ as only refuge of the soul. But he had insulted the gracious Spirit by utterly despising him and the salvation that he offered. Mark 3.29 says, But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an external sin. This is an apostate person. They'll willfully disrespect Christ by disconnecting from him, declaring the cross as a foolish message. Let me tell you, people, his cross is not a foolish foolish message. If you go into verse, uh, the next couple verses here, the next verses are taken directly from Deuteronomy chapter 32. In verses 30 and 31, it says this, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
Do you understand what it's saying here in verse 31? The author is saying that the Hebrew Christians were constantly, constantly rejecting God's Son. Folks, do not, and I repeat, do not be among those who fall into the hands, God's hands for judgment. Do not fall into God's hands for judgment. It's a very terrifying thought. This passage is written to all of us who are professing Christians as a warning about the terrible consequences that are, that are, are turning our backs on God. We are not to turn our backs on God. We are what? Draw near to Him. Verses 32 through 34, But I recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison for Christ, and, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see, in these verses, in the following verses, the author gives three reasons why the early Jewish Christians could continue in their allegiance to Christ. Their former experiences should stimulate them, right? What they've done in the past should stimulate them. The nearness of the reward should strengthen them, and the fear of God's displeasure should deter them from wanting to go back. So I ask you this, uh, this question this morning. Are you committed to Christ? Are you committed to Christ this morning? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, does sin bother you? Does it bother you? Do you have the desire to flee from sin? Do you want to leave sin? We just said this this morning, but I'll say it again. Christ is coming back. Christ is coming back. Are we living in a manner that is worthy we should be, and we should be strengthened by the fact that He is coming back soon. We should also be fearful, though, that God hates sin and displeasing Him should really eat us up. It should really eat us up. I mean, we should feel terribly when we sin against God. We should never want to go back to our old ways. I recently read this statement of this passage. It said this, in this passage for their Christianity, they experienced many trials. Imagine for yourself, they endured struggle, mission of Christ, suffering because of Christ, ridicule, reproach for Christ, affliction, marginalization for Christ, imprisonment, harassed for Christ, and plundering of their goods, economic persecution for Christ. Get to verse 35 and 36. It says this, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What was promised? Well, we see that in the next coming weeks' messages is in Hebrews eleven sixteen. I don't want to take away from who's coming up here. I think it's John next week. It says this in Hebrews eleven sixteen: a better country, that is, a heavenly one. That's what's promised. That's what's promised. Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be glad, for the reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Folks, we have a great and promised reward of an eternal home in heaven with him. And if that doesn't motivate you in your Christian walk here on this earth, I don't know what could. I really don't know what else could give us that kick in the butt that we need to get back out there and serve him. But we desperately, desperately need that day in and day out. We need to continue to remember 
We have a heavenly home in heaven waiting for us. One of my favorite books and authors, and I've quoted a lot of his stuff over the last several years when I've spoke, is, is C.S. Lewis and his book, Mere Christianity. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but if you have not, go out and get it and read it. It's a phenomenal book. He said this, If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot of the set, set I'm sorry, <clears throat> the apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth, precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim and heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. <laughs> Where are you aiming today? So how does this help us resist the urge of sinning? Because a lack of focus on the reward leads us to the inevitable love of what's here on this earth. We absolutely do not want to become earth-only believers. Right? Remember, folks, the promised reward, heaven, it's out there for us. It's being prepared for us. It's for us. Those who have put our faith and trust in him. As we finish up here, verses 37 and 38 come from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Verse 38, but my righteous one will shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39 concludes by saying, but we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We must learn to live by faith. We must learn to live by faith. And in the coming weeks, as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews, we're going to start to go into chapter 11. And chapter 11 is also called the faith chapter or the heroes of the faith. We'll see examples after example after example of those who lived by faith and were faithful in their walk with God. Were they perfect? <laughs> Absolutely not. But they gave us great, great illustrations of what, how we need to be living by faith. Living by faith is something that's ongoing, right? It's something that we must continually work on day after day after day. We must be patient. At the beginning of this chapter, I mentioned pressing on, not giving up. John Bloom wrote in Desiring God, he said this, Living by faith in things not seen is hard. Jesus reminds us the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. But the way has always been hard and you are not alone in the difficulty. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have passed this way ahead of you. Many have suffered far more and have remained faithful. Remember them. Imitate their faith. Above all, remember Jesus Christ. Jesus knows your works and he understands your war. His grace will be given to you in your time of need and it will be sufficient for you even at the very worst times. So look to Jesus, fight the good fight of the faith and finish your race. When you have done the will of God and you will receive what is promised, his great and eternal reward measured by eternity, the hardships of this life will be, not be long and by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Folks, don't give up. Keep pressing on. Let's close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask, Lord, that you would help us in our daily walks with you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn away from sin, flee from it, run the other way, and, 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 and put our total faith and hope and trust in you and you alone. Lord, for those here today that don't know you, we pray that you would stir up in them today, in their hearts, the desire to come follow after you. Know that the, long, the road is long, but yet, Lord, we have a great eternal uh, opportunity to be with you forever in heaven. And we thank you, Lord, that you are preparing a place for us. We ask, Lord, that you would just uh, watch over us this day, we pray. Give us safety as we travel home in our, our own ways. And we just thank you for all those here at Bethany. We thank you for the body here. May we continue to spur each other on in good in love and good works. And we pray, Lord, that we would serve here at Bethany in a manner that's worthy of your calling. In Jesus' name, amen.